So I'm going to have to ask for grace from uh, Sarah and Oscar because they've heard this already. But I bet you it'll be different. I bet it will, okay? Because I don't have anything but pictures, okay? <laughs> but um, I don't. I want to not get too much into the trip because I don't want to. I don't want to steal the thunder of any of the other group. So I'm just going to simply stay where I was. What what I did there in Israel, and. Um, First off, I was able to give uh, two, two uh, devotionals. I guess it would probably be more of a devotional. One on the Sea of Galilee. And I can see why Jesus liked that place. Uh, very, very peaceful, very serene. I mean, obviously the water can pick up, right? Uh, and there's a lot that happened in that whole area around the whole thing with, uh, that we read about in the Gospels. But I was able to, to teach on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and it was a beautiful time to be followed up by the National Anthem. So that was different, but uh, um, that's just what you get when you get over there, and then the, they will, there's more stuff coming out on that. But the second place that I got to talk to or talk uh, at was the Pool of Bethesda, all right? And this would be in Jerusalem proper, and this would be into, uh, into the old city, or would, well, there's the old city, and then there's the oldest city there, the old city of David, and then there's the, the city itself. And so this would be uh, just, um, from what I can understand, I think, south of the uh, Temple Mount, okay? So that's where this pool would be. And um, I'm just going to show you a kind, of, kind of a picture here. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what it looks like. And you're thinking, hmm... Right? Yep, that's looking east, by the way. Okay, and then off in behind that, you come down off the mountain, and then you get down into the lowlands. And, uh, but this, this is the, the uh, Pool of Bethesda, and it means house of mercy, or sometimes it can mean a house of double outpouring. And, and Bethesda is a, is a transliteration of the word, the Hebrew word, bet, comma, Hesta, okay. Bet in Hebrew is the word for house. And then, of course, you would have the other part of that word, meaning mercy or outpouring. And so they have, uh, I believe it was in the 19th century, they begin to find and excavate the Pool of Bethesda, which was highly doubted as being a real place for the longest time and doubted in the biblical narrative because they couldn't find it. Which if you were in the class today in Sunday school on inerrancy, you have to take and understand that even though you may not understand what the Scripture is saying right now, you cannot discount it because they didn't think this existed either until they did. Okay, until it came up and they found it. And so, two pools primarily in Jerusalem there, in the temple complex, okay, this, both of the pools being south of the temple mount itself, because you've got to think you're going up when you go to the temple. And we read about that in the Psalms. We also have the Psalms of Ascent. That's why there were, I forget how many steps. How many ascents are there? Like 14? Anyway, a lot of history here. But uh, you're going up. The idea is you're going up. You have to go up to go to Jerusalem. Way up. And, it, and it's astonishingly up, too. So you leave the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth. And then you're just going up and up and up 
and, and uh, the weather cools off a little bit, still hot. But these pools were there, and um, that, that, uh, that, that mountain that this is all built on is like a giant finger, okay? The highest part having the temple mount on it, and then it goes on down into the lowest part. So the pool of Siloam is, would be at the bottom. And uh, we, they're, they're excavating it too still. We saw them digging around on that. And it had a natural uh, supply of water. So now what I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to get into our text in a minute, is that these were known as mikvahs, okay? A lot of weird words over there, mikvahs. And a mikvah was a ritual cleansing pool where before they could go and offer their sacrifices or go to the temple... They had to become ritually clean. They had their washings that they had to do. This was one, the pool of Bethesda, and then there was the pool of Siloam. In order to be a mikvah, the water has to run. It has to be a running water. It can't lay stagnant, in other words, okay? So a pond that's just out there would not be a mikvah. It just sets there. I know cattle ponds in Oklahoma that I wouldn't put a turtle in. So anyway, just saying that... The Pool of Bethesda and the Pool of Siloam were both seen and understood as mikvahs. But there was something about the Pool of Bethesda that was different. Now, it is a long ways away going up the mountain, okay, towards the Temple Mount. The Siloam being down here. And then you come up and you have the Pool of Bethesda. And then you can go on up and go to the Temple well, the Pool of Bethesda was not a natural spring-fed place. It's as dry as a chip up there, okay? And even the tour guide, which his name was Tal Sagal, that's all I remember, talked a lot, had a lot of things to say, but someone asked him about the water. He goes, there's no water up here, okay? There's no water up here. So then how was this a mikvah, Right? And if you read about it, and as we're going to read about it in Scripture in John chapter 5 soon, if you, don't, if you haven't turned to John 5, you want to want to turn there. Um, it was because the pool of Bethesda was a reservoir that they used to catch all the rainwater they could. And as you can imagine, they did everything they could do to collect and scavenge every bit of rainwater they could get. And it was collected into the reservoir portion of what's known as the Pool of Bethesda or the Five Porches. And I'll explain that in a second. Then, below that, was this pool that people laid around. Because it, every once in a while, they would take the reservoir water and they would replenish the pool water. So it, it qualified as a mikvah because it just didn't lay stagnant. They, they could let fresh water in. And that was the whole, that's how it made it kosher. Let me tell you what kosher means. It means no cheese on your meat. That's what it means. It means no pepperoni pizza. It means no jalapeno poppers. It means sadness, okay, for, for the Gentile palate. And you're quite ready for something when you get done. And it, it occurred to me. I think I know now officially. Someone ever asked, what's your favorite food? Like, well, I like this and I like that. 
I've noticed when I get do, when I get done with long mission trips over in Asian countries or was in Africa or now Israel, the number one thing I want when I get back is guess what it is? Bacon cheeseburger. Because all of the good things have, have kind of collided right there. Okay, it's just wonderful. Because cheese and meat and bacon and onions go together. Okay? They don't have that. So kosher is different. But in this case, I respect the fact that this pool had to be replenished by fresh water. And at this pool, there, were, there could have been up to maybe, I don't know, 2,000 people there crowded in. At least a thousand. Maybe there were only 500. Let's just say maybe there were 60. There was more than that. But if, if you didn't know a single person inside this fellowship here, and you walked in, and you would walk in kind of like, you don't know anybody, right? But there's one person you came there to see. And you would go straight to them. That's what we're going to see. So, before I go to the text... Here's another view. I know it's amazing uh, of the pool of Bethesda, right? And again, that's looking east. And there's lots of other structures that are there from the Byzantine era. Of course, the Crusaders like to modify and do stuff. But that's 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 it. They found it. They said it didn't exist. It does surprise. And here's what it looked like back in the day. It was the five-porched pool, and of course, that is looking so. If you looking that direction would be east, right there, okay, and uh, and so that's we were somewhere over here, and that's kind of what you're seeing. Well, that's what it looked like back in Jesus' day. It's a mock up. So you have two pools, a reservoir and a lower pool, where everybody went and hoped that something would happen, which we're going to talk about. So let's get in the Bible now, shall we? We're going to be totally Bible extensive today. I will not have any more slides. So you're going to have to be manual. So you have to push in on the clutch and let it out slowly and shift. Okay? Okay. John chapter 5, verse 1. Oh, yes, please. In honor of God, thank you. I'm a little out of shape. We're going to read through verses 1 through 15. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. After this, there, were a feast. there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Now you know why. If you look up there, you can still see it. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So this happened on the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, Who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, 
He who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Second time we see that word used, multitude, being in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, this man who was healed, and said to him, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray. Lord, we're looking back at a scene that happened 2,000 years ago. We're looking at pictures of a dig of that pool that you stepped into, that you, that you were at, that you met this man. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us understanding through the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to show us the, the, what's happening here in this narrative and what it is we're supposed to see. Because, Lord, you're not interested in the rocks. You're interested in the person. You never are coming for things. You're coming for people. And let us never forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First off, I just want to say, no one knows for certain what feast it was that they were gathered in Jerusalem for. No one knows. But whatever it was, it would have required a mikvah. It would have required them to clean and or to cleanse themselves. And as such, you had the Siloam pool being fully stuffed, and then you would have this one being fully stuffed. Except this one up here was less desirable because it had all of the paralyzed, the blind, the lame, and the sick people there. Now, for religious leaders of the day, that was not attractive, Right? Uh, they, they looked at people who struggled sort of like some people look today at people who struggle. Well, you must not be living right. What have you done wrong? Oh, I've done everything. I wish I could be like you and never do anything wrong at all. Right? <laughs> right? And so the, that would be why the coarse response from the Pharisees, that this man had been healed and all they cared about was it happened on the Sabbath. They were all in for the rules. Okay. Well, this place had five porches, and again, we can see why. We understand there's a reservoir part where they call all the rainwater, then it would be released down into the bottom. And there were all these, these people there. Now, I'm going to get into something, and I don't want to stay there long, but I, I'm always fully transparent with you all. If you read in ESV, verse 3 and 4, probably not there. Okay. If you have a NASB, 1995, it's probably not there. If you have other translations, it's going to be italicized or there's going to be a call out to say that these, these verse 3, the end of verse 3 and verse 4 was not in the earliest manuscripts from which we get our translation. That's what it says right there in the bracket, right in here in mine. The, the Nestle Elan United Bible Society 27th edition omits the rest of verse 3 and all of verse 4. So what was that? Well, most consider it to be a scribal notation on the margin that someone, somewhere, sometime, with the manuscripts, the later manuscripts that those who... Uh, uh, come up with the King James, okay? They used those manuscripts, and that's where that's contained. Well, since the King James, we have found earlier manuscripts. 
that go way closer to the time of this, and that's missing. So what happened was probably some kind of a scribal note that just some scribe came along later and go, oh, we need to squeak that in there. That Maybe they were very concerned, maybe something's being left out, so they put it. Well, why does that matter? Well, because some say that this man was a belief in pagan ideas and that perhaps this pool was not really a mikvah but was a pool for pagan ritual. Not so in Jesus' day. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't Jews who had various ideas, much like what we see in our world today. But this man was there because if you go on and we read in verse 7, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So we're not altogether sure what all this meant. I'm just letting you know in advance that Jesus was there dealing with this man. The water stirred. Could be when they released it from the reservoir. Was there a small fissure maybe that fed it? Highly doubtful. It's solid rock up there. Up there, right? You don't really find many artesian wells on top of mountains. So we're not sure. But I just want you to know, if you begin to read your Bible and you have a reference Bible, it's going to say that in the margin. And I want you to know what that means. He was there, and he had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. He was paralyzed. Now, I don't know to what degree of paralyzation he had, a paralysis he had. Was he fully paralyzed? Was he partially paralyzed? Could he pull himself along? Did someone caretake for him and bring him there every day? Did he live there? I don't know. I just know this from the text that's very clear. There was a multitude of people sick there. Now, how, much, how many is a multitude? A lot, right? And they're all crowded in this place. As you can see, imagine a feast day. Everyone's coming up to Jerusalem and they're flooding this place. Flooding it. Now, I've walked the streets of Jerusalem and you guys too. And is it crowded? Oh, man. I mean, when you got a pass, and you go around to a corner and you're like, oh, there's still oncoming traffic, you know. And you're like, and then you, then you can go. Okay, because that's what it's kind of like. It's very condensed. And Jesus goes into that place and he saw him lying there in verse 6. And he knew that he already had been in that condition. Boy, Jesus was a good guesser about stuff. Not. Okay. Oh, isn't it neat that Jesus just happened by and just happened to stumble over his foot, that paralyzed guy's foot as it stuck out, and said, oh, well, uh, do you want to be like that? No. Because the Jesus that we believe in and the Jesus we serve is, is God Almighty. And He knows all things and He does all things well. And He has His predetermined purposes with which He works out. So there's all these people. Now this should grab you. If, you, if this doesn't grab you, your grabber's broken. Okay. He walks into that place with that multitude of people. And he makes a beeline for that guy. Now that's no easy task. I don't know how far it is from the outer place of this 
how far it would take you to get through all the people until you could get next to the water. But that's where this guy was probably at, so he could try to get in it, right? So he had to wade through all those people. Boom, boom, sorry. Hey, you know, watch it, man. You know, and he got, and he went straight to him. If you don't see that in the text, you're blind. Jesus went straight for this man. And he asked him a question. Do you want to be made well? He didn't say, how's it going? Come here often? Man, it's crowded, isn't it? What's your life purpose? He just asked him, do you want to be made well? He knew the answer. God knows all things. Remember when God came walking into the garden and he asked Adam, well, where are you? And someone would say, see, God doesn't know all things. But God knows all things. That's God's way of saying, mm-hmm, you've done it. Well, see, we hid because we were, we were naked. Who told you that? I'm curious, God says, who would have told you that? He did not know. It's like when the parents say, who broke this? <laughs> we know, we know. Jesus went to this man and he said this. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said, he didn't even, if you notice, his response was, rise, take up your bed and walk. He didn't. Go, really? Do tell. Tell me more about that. Tell me about this water. He simply didn't even acknowledge it, really. The man was giving his hope. He was simply regurgitating what he thought would help. And Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. That's what you want. That's what you want. And immediately, did you notice that word there in verse 9? And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath, and boom. I think Jesus was killing two birds with one stone here. You know, some have argued that Jesus chose this man because he had been in this position of paralysis for 38 years, this position of Maybe what someone could allegorize as unbelief, just like the Jews were in the desert for 38 years. Okay? And they're trying to parallel that. I think you can have paralysis by analysis sometimes. Here's, here's what just plain old Mickey thinks. And then we'll see what the text says. I think Jesus foreordained this and went to that man to heal him and save his life. There could be more. But hey man, that's the bulk of it. He's an example of us all. Paralyzed by the world's system. Paralyzed by doubt or disbelief or frustration or anger or loss. Stuck. Ungrateful because of the hardness of heart that ensues from being hurt. Not knowing to look for God, really. I mean, 
clearly he was not there looking for the Messiah, right? We agree? But here's Jesus. And isn't that every one of you here that knows Christ, your testimony? You're going through your life, muddling along, through all the junk, and at a certain point, you smack right into Jesus. It was just a day like any other day. And then you're on the back of a motorcycle with your friend because it's okay at 12 for that to happen. And he screams at you, do you know Jesus? And then suddenly the Son of God is compelling you with a force that's irresistible to come. And six hours later you find yourself in the kingdom. Or you're on your way to work or you're at your bedside or you're at church. or You see? And you were the same doubtful, hurt, alone person that no one really wants because no one wants to hang out with a group like that. You have nothing to offer, you know. And then here comes the very God-man and says, Get up and live. The man took his bed up. And then the Jews, of course, you know, came after him and said, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to do this. Never mind a miracle had been done. And they said, Who said it? Because I don't know. He just said, Take up your bed and walk. Some in the Greek uh, text here would say that there's a somewhat of an ambivalence in his response and that he sort of turncoated on Jesus because he didn't know. He knew the Jews wanted him. And, 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 and then... Uh, he went straight to Jesus or to the Jews after he learned it was Jesus and kind of tattled on him. But I would say, have you ever done anything like that to the Lord? Have you ever, at any time in your life, have you ever sort of not honored Christ the way you should for all his blessings on you? Have you been apathetic before? Okay. Have you ever been uh, uh, crabby? to the things of God before? <laughs> have, have you ever, maybe after the miracles that God has done, doubted Him because you don't see how this specific thing can work? <laughs> have you? And then someone wants to come along and criticize your life 2,000 years later and say, well, you were just really weren't a believer, that's why. No, very much was. Which is why it gets really good. Verse 13, the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And I find that interesting. I can't help but to believe from the text that he went there just for him. He left. Let me ask you a question. Well, let me, maybe not. This is rhetorical, of course. Is it possible to be touched? Literally touched? Healed to have a divine effect with the very God of the universe and not come away changed. Is it possible? I think that's the biggest joke ever. When God touches things, change. Okay, do we become perfect? Evidently not, because some of you still have hair. Okay, especially this guy over here. That's right. 
But, but when we're His, we're His. And no matter how bad you may get as a, as a born-again child of God, no matter how much that little grandson of ours may throw a fit sometimes, though he rarely does, okay, that I see. And he gets mad and screams sometimes, especially if you take his food or something, because he's a Kelly. I don't go, ah, I thought you were more. I'm so disappointed in you, I unknow you. No. I just love him more. Because I know he's going to grow. Living things grow. When you meet Jesus in your paralysis, you will not be able to stay the same. And you will grow. And you will mature. And you'll understand. And then later you'll look back at that time in your life and you'll go, man, why did I think like that as a Christian then? Oh man, God, I'm so sorry I didn't know. Why didn't I value my Bible? Well, you're growing. You're, you're, you're gro- Ask a five-year-old if they, son, are you grateful to be growing, growing up in a house full of food and clothing and you don't have to pay electrical bills or taxes? Are you grateful for that? Ask him when he's 20 or her. They'll have a different point of view because they're growing. And that's the same thing it is with this man. And he says to him, now this, is, this gets interesting. Afterward, Jesus found him in verse 14 in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing Come upon you. <laughs> We're reading along and something like, well, what does that even mean? Right? Here's what the text clearly is saying. Evidently, according to Jesus, his paralysis was connected in some way to some kind of sin that he did. Well, what kind of sin? Well, I don't know. So let's just make a modern day usage of something. You buy a fast car as a Christian, and you're told not to speed, but it's got 500 horsepower, and it sounds really good at about 3,000 RPM, and you know how to drive stick, and you just think, just a little more, and suddenly, someone let their cow out. So now you got hamburger in your grill. And you've paralyzed yourself in the impact. Did you sin? Yes. Well, what were you breaking? All kinds of things. First, the speed limit. Second, the, the advice from friends and just all common sense. You were feeding your flesh. How many of you do that? I think some of you. Thank you for your presence. Okay. But he, you're broken. Does Jesus come to you and say, not mine, are you? No, he comes and says, hey, you need to stop that. Lest something worse happen to you. You need to stop that. Now, does that happen? All the time. 
It does, doesn't it? So that's what we know happened in this passage. Now, what else are we going to see here? Well, if we go on down, I'm going to start in verse 16 and read down. I'm going to run out of time. For this reason, uh, well, verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. We don't know how he did this, why he did this. But this man had been changed, but he, he wasn't perfect. But I believe with all my heart, I think the text bears it out, that he's God's man now. Because Jesus met him again after he had sinned again, right? Jesus doesn't quit us just because we're bad. He doesn't quit his own. So for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. In verse 17, Jesus said, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. So there was never any doubt that Jesus claimed to be God, making himself equal with God. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. And whatever he does, the son also does in like manner, which, which you have to go back and remember that God Almighty had his eye on this man. Okay, or else Jesus wouldn't have been there. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. And finally, in verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, now notice this, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. He walks in to the pool of Bethesda area through that multitude of mayhem, Heals and saves this man. Changes his life. And then leaves. Catches that man again on his new leg on life. Says, better watch how you're living, son. Lest something worse take you. And then goes on his ministry and then he says this to those Jews. The son will save whom he will. If you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And I think this is beautifully uh, uh, illustrates, this beautifully illustrates what we see there at the pool of Bethesda. This is after Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house. Was a wee little man and a wee little... We all know that song. And I, and I see nothing but sovereign grace all over this and in that because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. You know what they called those guys back in the day? A paradog. A paradog was what we would call today a junkyard dog. An old, nasty, mangy, skinny, worthless dog that lives down at the junkyard. That's what the Jews thought of those Jews who were tax collectors. Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus was in a tree. And by the way, those sycamore leaves are huge. They, you remember how big they were? Probably like eight inches or ten. They're large. Jesus says to him, I've got to stay at your house today. It sounds like a divine appointment to me. Go on down. 
we see verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also, because he also is a son of Abraham. Now, what was it requ- what did it require to be a son of Abraham? Romans tells us lots of things about that, but one thing it required was faith. In other words, you weren't just a son of Abraham because you were ethnically Jewish. You must believe like Abraham. You must share his faith. And verse 10, for the Son of Man, now notice this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So verse 10 gives you an idea of how the pool of Bethesda works, doesn't it? Jesus is seeking and saving those who are lost. Okay? Now what else does it say? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse verse 1, we've read this a lot, but think of it along the lines of this paralyzed man. Think of this along the lines of Zacchaeus. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. What were you doing saying, I'm dead, God, when you see this sign, come my way. Here are the coordinates, and also I have a huge SOS, so when you get close, I'm going to light it up. Dead people don't do anything but lay there and rot. He came to you at some point. If you know Christ and you're here. Oh, by the way, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, heaven's after you. Mm Mm-hmm, run from that. In which you once walked. Now notice this. He made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. According to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. In lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Just as others. But God. Don't you love that part? Who was rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up. By grace you have been saved. We are, look at verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please don't try to convince me that what happened to this man at the pool of Bethesda was arbitrary. Or what happened to Zacchaeus was happenstance. Tree limb ministry. Please don't try to, to, to take away the sovereign grace of God by trying to make him capricious. Water runs one way and it's downhill. And most of us are like water. In fact, we all are. We take the path of least resistance every time. And when we're dead in our trespasses and sins and we walk according to the prince of the power of this air and of this world. Tell me how open-minded you are then. 
Bible says you hate God at that point. And then Jesus. You know what I love? Uh, we were down in the, the Hezekiah's uh, tunnel for the water. It's really deep, okay? Because again, it goes down. It was dark, man. It was dark, wasn't it? Man, it was so dark. And then we went through this. Uh, so there's two portions of the tunnel that you can walk through. The wet part, which would be Hezekiah's, the part he, he, we elected not to walk through the creepy, dark, wet tunnel. Okay. And boy, I looked down through there and it was pitch black. And suddenly all the bad shows of scariness you ever saw as a child came rushing back. Okay. But there was a driveway. And it was the Canaanite way. That they had also dug a, a hewed a tunnel out. And we went through that, and it was rather dark, but it was lighted enough. But sometimes people still needed a flashlight, and it was shaped rather funny. It, it, uh, it was uh, kind of wide up here and got really narrow at the bottom, so you're like... And so if you were given a claustrophobia, you weren't happy when you came out the other side. Okay? And I remember, I'm, I'm fine with that, except for I got to thinking, you know, we're underground in a place that has earthquakes and stuff. <laughs> then I started talking about it and they weren't very appreciative of it. So, but I, you know, can I like when you have to like, as you go through the guts of the mountain and thinking about Lord of the Rings and the little dwarfs and I just thought it's a bad time to have a shift. That's all. But it was dark. And how did we know when we were coming to the end? The light got brighter brighter and brighter and that's what it's like when the hound of heaven when Jesus the Christ is coming for his own yeah try to run from that I just see nothing but grace upon grace upon grace stacked up here finally last passage turn with me to Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 26 Okay. Picking up in verse 9. My Bible has a subheading above these verses called All Have Sinned. It's carrying the nuance of what this is about in this pericope. What then? Are we better than they? Are we better than the Jews who tried to gain righteousness by keeping the law? Are we better than they, us, us, us Gentiles? Are we like that? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, right? And in Christ Jesus, guess what? There's no Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ. That's why Abraham was promised all the nations. More than the stars in the sky. As it is written. Now listen to this. There is none righteous, no, not one. So how many righteous are there? There is none who understands. So how many understand? There is none who seeks after God. So tell me how many people seek after God. So then how can you have a seeker-friendly church? Just saying. I think we had a light bulb moment there. They have all turned aside. How many turned aside? They have together... 
become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18 is a big one for our day, along with this. But notice what it says. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And it was the same at the pool of Bethesda. Yet Jesus went there and he went for that man. Does that not get you? I'm that man. I'm that man. I'm going to say this and I don't mean it as a joke. I mean it literally. So please try. I know I can be a little hokey. But I was sitting there, standing there on the temple mount looking at the... uh, the actual temple portion of that whole thing. The most disputed piece of real estate in the whole world. And here was my thought. Jesus, I am sure glad you went global. Because he met me in Oklahoma. Just six miles north of Maysville. Two miles to the west on Fin Creek. You couldn't find it with an electron microscope. But boy, this man gets around. Does that not just make you want a ball? And wherever you were, I'm sure glad Jesus went global. That temple couldn't contain him. I find it astonishing that of all the rocks and bits that they've been able to collect and find, right? And I should say venerate in many ways. The guide stood up there on that temple mount, right in front of the dome of the golden rock, whatever it is, you know. And he said, with all this, they don't have one single shred of a bit of a piece left of that of that temple that was destroyed that Jesus said would be destroyed they don't have anything and i thought that's because god said finished because jesus said it is finished now Think about this, and of course this is where I kind of come to when we were at the pool of Bethesda. I said, how often do you think Jesus comes back to Jerusalem here? As many times as his people do. Because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. All of that that's on that hill, now is in here. Isn't it something how one man gets around? Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, now notice this, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, remember, between Jew or Greek. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. Now notice this last part. It's very important. That He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, who then become, as it were, the promised children of Abraham. I'm the man at the well. I'm at the man at the pool. I'm Zacchaeus in a tree. I'm the lady at the well. I'm the lady that was bleeding and just trying to touch the garment. He's walking through those people and everyone's touching him. And he says, who touched me? That one that he knew would be there. If you're in Jesus, you need to to get on your knees every day and thank God for his divine grace. And you need to thank him. That he abides with you through all of your sin and rejoice that he's remaking you into his image all before the foundation of the world. Not arbitrarily, not oopsie. Intention, purpose, decree. Do you know Jesus? You don't have to go to Israel and look at old rocks to know he lived. You just need to hear what he has to say. And he says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when Jesus comes to you and presents himself there, I promise you, you want nothing else than to do just that. So come. Christ is calling you. And live. Live free. We're going to have a few moments to deal with the Lord in whatever way. The altar is open. JT plays. Listen to the King.